1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll spend um, today and next Sunday in 1 Peter, and then we'll move on um, to more of the Bible. Don't want you to get your hopes up that we're just going to teach some false thing, but we're going to keep studying, studying the Bible together, mostly because of what... Um, Timothy writes about the Word of God in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but also because of what the author of Hebrews writes about the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, when it says that um, the Word of God can go into us, penetrate us, cut us in half, and uh, show us you know, who we are and our, and our desperate need for, for who God is and for what He can do for us. So that's why we study it so much. That's why we want to know it so much. I think about King David, and uh, the only way to remain pure um, is to um, hide God's Word in our heart. Um, and God's Word teaches us that the only way to be pure is through His Son, Jesus. And so that's why we study it so much, and that's why we preach through these books together. And so First Peter chapter 5, we'll, um, we'll study uh, verses 5 through 10 together, and with the hope that um, this morning God will speak directly to you uh, through His Word, and uh, you, will, you will then worship Him through your life as you respond to Him. I'm going to pray for us one more time. Lord, thank You for um, the time of worship. Um, thank You for the time to sing praises and to pray and um, thank you for uh, Brian and Zach pointing out scripture to us. God, I thank you for just this last song that we sang that comes from Psalm 103 that reminds us that you um, that you are God who is slow to anger, that you are God who is full of compassion, full of mercy, a God who will um, not always hide your anger or hide your wrath, but at, at some point will um, cast out judgment on those in sin. Um, those remaining in sin. And so we praise you, God, that we can join with the angels in saying, bless you, God, because um, because you're willing to forgive us of our sins and remove those as far as the east is from from the west. And so, God, we pray to you this morning again that you would speak to us, God, that you would help us to um, pay attention to your word, God, that your Holy Spirit would um, give us counsel this morning. God, that we would worship you through through listening, but also through response to you, God. God, help us. We are in need of you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you deal with it at all, but um, but maybe you've heard of folks who deal with suffering, or maybe you've heard of folks who are who are dealing with anxiety or dealing with just the stresses of the world. Maybe that's not you, but maybe you know of somebody that deals with those things. And when Peter writes these final words to the churches um, exiled, to the sojourners, the suffering sojourners in Asia Minor. When he writes, when he's finalizing this letter, he wants to point their attention towards the suffering that they're going through, the persecution that they're going through, um, and the anxiety that accompanies that. Plus, the one that's trying to devour them, or the one that's trying to, that's prowling around, uh, going to try, try and destroy them, basically, or swallow, swallow them up. So he ends um, this letter to these sojourners, to these exiles. He ends with some instruction on how to resist the devil, on how to cast our our concern or our anxiety upon upon the Lord, and how we can we can rest. In our living hope, in our living hope, Jesus, and that God truly does, He truly does care for us. So I've said all that. Now those of you who need to sleep, you can, because I've given you all the points. And the rest of you who want to continue on, let's continue on. I'm going to read these verses um, together, starting in verse 5. Verse 5 says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to 
the humble. God opposes what? The proud. Remember that. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time you may, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood by, the, by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Can I just say this, that establish you? I just want to end, the, end there with this, think, this thought as we begin uh, going back to the, those verses. Establish you is a forever statement. It's not just a momentary statement, but a forever statement. Establish you in a place forever. Remember, we're in a temporary place now. Uh, we're living in a place of brokenness where we're seeing deaths, leftovers everywhere. But, but soon, at some point, Christ will exalt us. Uh, God will bring us to where He is, and He will establish us with Him forever. No more temporariness, but an eternalness, and a rightness in the place that we're, we're intended to be in right relationship with the Father. So verse 5 uh, gives us this picture of how God opposes the proud, but He desires humility of us. What I want you to begin thinking about is how worry sometimes uh, leads to, to being proud. Like anxiety also shows us where our pride might be. That those who have anxiety also have a form of proudness. A form of pride because they're trying to figure out things on their own. Trying to figure out how to fix issues on their own. And God desires us to be humble people, full of humility, that we're going before the Father in submission to Him, saying, I can't do this on my own. I'm in desperate need of you. So that's why verse 6 says this, Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humility is a matter of submission, a matter of submission. I hope that you, you know this. Maybe you see this. When you feel proud about something and someone uh, begins to say, well, I'm better than you, or no, you're not that great, uh, what do you have to do? You have to decide, is this person greater than me? And if, I, if I'm less than them, if I'm lower than them, then I will humble myself and say, I'm lower than you, and I will submit to who you are. I will submit to uh, your authority. I will submit to whatever the case may be. Uh, humility is a matter of submission. That's why we ended last week saying we are all in desperate need of a shepherd. We are in need of the good shepherd to guide us, to lead us in the way of the everlasting, or the way of righteousness. We are in desperate need of that. And only through humility can we, can we get to that place where we say, God, I need, I need you. And so verse 6 begins, humble yourselves, therefore, uh, under the mighty hand of God. Humility isn't, though, the end goal. It's not like what, or, or the prize. Like once all Christians become humble, then they've received the reward, right? Once you begin thinking that you have received the word of humility, then you become proud again. Yay, I'm humble. You know what I'm saying? Well, you're not anymore. You have now grown pride in yourself, thinking that humility was the reward. There's a reminder here. Humility, humble Christians, is not the reward. We're not seeking just the prize of humility, that once you receive humility, then you've received the reward. No, there's something even greater than that. The prize is Jesus. The prize is being exalted with Christ. The prize is being seated with Him in the heavenlies. The prize is being with the Lord forever. Humility is not the goal of the prize. Don't just strive this week to become humble people for the sake of saying next week, guess what? 
Thackerson, I was humble this week. Congratulations. That's not the prize. Christ is the prize. Abide in him. Walk in him. Humble yourselves. And that's why Peter continues on. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God. You know this, but suffering, persecution, it feels like humiliation. When you suffer through a trial, when you're persecuted, when you're suffering through various trials, you are humbled by that. And you may begin to think that the reason why you suffered was just so that you might be humbled. And that may be the case, but it's not the entire case. Suffering may feel like humiliation, but humiliation is not the end. Just like suffering is not the end, humiliation is not the end. That's why the end of verse 6 says, You will be exalted with Christ. At the, at the right time, when the time comes, at the proper time, we will be exalted with Him. That's the prize. Not pride or, uh, or humility, but instead Christ and being with Him in a right relationship forever. That's our prize. Humility leads us to, and we'll get to this in a moment, but humility leads us to casting our anxiety upon the Lord. All of this is connected. The whole Bible is connected. It all points to Christ. But these verses right here are connected. Humility leads to casting our anxiety upon the Lord. We're afraid. We're stressed out. We're suffering. What do we turn to? Who do we ask for help? Peter is saying, first, cast your anxiety upon the Lord. But before we get to casting, before we get to the fishing part or the throwing out the worries part, we have to get to this middle part of verse 6 where it says, under the mighty hand of God. Under the mighty hand of God. So what are we humbling ourselves to? What are we submitting ourselves to? Well, we're submitting ourselves to the mighty hand of God. And what does this picture, what does this give us a picture of when we talk about the mighty hand of God? Well, let's talk about discipline. Maybe you grew up in a home or maybe you were the authority figure in your home that you used one of your hands as a form of discipline. Maybe it was a finger. Maybe that's the discipline. Maybe it was the whole hand on the bottom to remind, hey, this, this action is incorrect. We want to correct you. The same with God. His mighty hand. What is it capable? What is it capable of? Read Psalm 103. It's capable of many things. Discipline. The mighty hand of God will bring discipline upon those in need. And those of us in Christ, we are in need of discipline also. We're in need of Christ disciplining us, correcting us, rebuking us, convicting us, reminding us of the way everlasting so that we continue to walk in obedience, continue to walk in purity, so that we continue to glorify God on the day that He appears, so that we continue to, with unveiled faces, being transformed in the likeness of God, beholding the glory of God, we put that on display for the entire world to see. So we need the mighty hand of God. We need to submit to that. We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and allow Him to discipline us. Lord, in this suffering, in this persecution, what areas, what dark areas of my heart are not submitting to You? Where do I need to humble myself before You? What areas of my life am I not submitting to your word? If your word is to cut down deep into my soul, let it cut. Let me see those places and please bring healing that I might continue to walk in faithfulness to you. What, is, what, what other symbol do we, do we see here? Well, we see a symbol of deliverance. What does the mighty hand of God do? It delivers us, saves us, rescues us. Grab my hand, let me pull you out of the pit. We see this. The mighty hand of God delivers us. There's this reminder. This suffering is not forever. The suffering is momentary. 
just for a moment, God will deliver you. Suffering and humiliation is not the end, but instead submit to, humble yourself to the mighty hand of God, let him discipline you, but also know that he will deliver you. I think somebody said amen, and I appreciate that, Ray. It also reminds us of our destiny. Those are three D words. That's like a real preacher. Discipline, deliverance, and destiny. It reminds us that at the proper time, the, the end of the verse here, submitting or humbling ourselves to the mighty hand of God, at the proper time, he will be the one that will exalt us. Again, your responsibility this week is not just to practice, okay, how can I be better at being humble? So that my hand is showing, hey, look what I did this week. You might boast in yourself. No, but submitting under the authority, under the mighty hand of God, we are recognizing that our destiny is to properly worship and exalt the Father and acknowledge His work and His mighty hand. Who's at work in your life? Well, I am. I've been doing this. I put all these steps into place, and look how great I am. No, the opposite of that is a suffering sojourner, one that has been purchased by the blood, by the blood of Jesus, one who has been made a royal priesthood, one who has been adopted into the, hand, uh, to the, to the family of God. All, of, all that has happened by the mighty hand of God, by the work of God. He has done all of that, not ourselves. And so with that, we say, man, God, I'm so thankful that you have a hand of discipline, that you hand, have a hand of deliverance, and that you have a hand that is pointing us or pulling us or pushing us towards what we're really, truly made for. I think about these, verse, these um, words from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is the mighty hand of God doing this. You cannot exalt yourself. You can't exalt yourself enough. You can't live perfectly enough that you can work your way up enough by your own hand, by your own merit, to exalt yourself to the place that Christ is. Christ, living perfectly, still under the hand of God, submitting to the will of the Father. The Father is the one who exalted the Son into the place that He is today. And if Christ, living perfectly, couldn't do that Himself, surely you know you can't do that either. And so that's a humbling moment for us, saying we're going to submit to the mighty hand of the Father. Verse 6 again, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. This has to do with um, a word uh, that, we've, that the men and I talked about um, on Wednesday, a word uh, vindication. Like we're wanting this. Let me go through this suffering trial. Let me go through life. Let me, let me humble myself. Let me do all the right things so that I can show and exalt myself. Look, look how great I am. I mean, this is, this is what I do often. I want to prove to you. Hey, I studied this week. I came up with three points. They all start with the same letter. Aren't I awesome? Exalting myself, showing you that I'm good at what I do, or hoping that I'm good at what I do. And now I'm fishing. That's not what we're supposed to do. It's not about us vindicating ourselves or proving ourselves. No, 
Instead, it's about us abiding in Christ, exalting Him, and the promise of that, that He will exalt us also with Him, seat, seat us with Him in the heavenlies, with Him because of His, because of His work. Colossians 3, 1-5. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things of the earth, for, when, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. Our lives reflecting Christ, submitting to his mighty hand, living only for him. You, you, cannot, you cannot cast your anxieties upon the Lord fully if we're not submitting to the mighty hand of God. We can partially, but if we are only partially submitting to the mighty hand of God, then we are only partially casting our anxieties upon the Lord. Not wholeheartedly, but half-heartedly. So let's move to verse 7. Verse 7 says this, Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Casting anxiety. Humbly casting your anxiety upon the Lord. Humbly in humility saying, under your mighty hand, God, I'm submitting to you. And here's all the things that I'm anxious about. Here's all the things that I'm stressed about. Every bit of them. The crazy thing is the Father already knows. He already knows all that you're going through. Yet we forget that because we're human. To cast means to throw. I want to give you the picture from Luke 19 on the triumphal entry. You remember this when Christ is coming into the town and they're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're singing this. What have they done? What, what did they do prior to this? They, they went and got this donkey that Christ might sit on to fulfill prophecy. And what did they throw on top of the donkey's back? They cast their coats or they threw their coats on top of the beast of burden so Christ could sit on those things. It's the same thing. Or to throw these things at the feet of Jesus, or throw these things, these anxious thoughts, the stressful times, the suffering, just to throw these things on to Jesus. It sounds wrong, right? How many of you have ever said, I don't want to burden you? I don't want to throw these things. Some of you don't say that. Some of you are like, I want to burden you. But there's some of us who say, I don't want to burden you. I don't want to cast these things upon you. Christ, you've done enough for me. You have this attitude ever? Christ, you've done enough for me. I, I want to just do this on my own. No, that's not why Christ came. He didn't come so that you might do things on your own. He might come so that you might recognize He's done it all for you. Casting all our anxiety upon the Lord. Now this is easy to preach. You know that, right? In judgment, I want to point at you and say, come on, people, do this. It's easy to preach. But I know, I know how difficult it really is. The Greek word anxiety is the word to divide. It means to divide. It means part separated from the whole. A dividing into parts of a person's being. This is what anxiety does to us. It divides our mind. It divides us up. Anxiety tears you to pieces. And it ends up devouring your life. It ends up eating you up. How many of you how many of you know someone that's like this? That anxiety has, anxiety has overtaken them, overwhelmed them. And their life is torn up by this. Think about this. Uh, you know the saying, um, how do you eat an elephant? Like one piece at a time, right? And there's no way 
humanly possible, you could eat the entire elephant in one setting. You're going to have to eat it one piece, one piece at a time. So you have to divide it up, right? Here, I'll give you a, some of you are visual learners, so I'll give you a picture. I don't have an elephant in here. This is just a piece of paper, right? And if I was going to you know, challenge one of my boys over here to, uh, to eat this piece of paper, like what, what's the best way for them to eat this? Well, I'm just going to crumple it up, and I'm going to get them to try and put this in your mouth and, and eat it, Rylan, since, since you're nine. Okay? Try and eat that. Go ahead and put it in your mouth. <laughs> there's got to be an easier way, right? Well, well, obviously, there's an easier way. Let's, let's, tear it into, let's tear it into pieces. Let's give him smaller pieces so that he can eat this. And I bet if I was to take you know, one of these smaller pieces over here and take this to him, he would eat it because, because I know him well. And uh, he would eat that. <laughs> I, think he cut his, I think he cut his mouth on that. This is what anxiety does to us. It tears us into smaller pieces, more bite-sized pieces. And Peter is saying that we should cast our anxiety, the things that are dividing us up, the things that are tearing us up, the things that are making us into smaller bite-sized pieces, we should take those and throw them upon, throw them upon the Lord. And this is the picture that, that we're getting, that anxiety, that anxious thoughts are the things that are dividing our mind. Like when we go on to that we should be sober-minded, we should be watchful, we can't be. If we have a divided mind, we can't do that. It's the same, the same thought that Christ gives about a divided house. A divided house, like it's never going to stand. A divided mind will never stand. So praise Jesus and Brian read this to us, prayed this over us. Praise Jesus that Christ is the one that holds all things together. Praise Jesus for the words in Jude 24 and 25 that Christ can, he can, he is able to do this, to present us before the Lord whole, complete. I think about Emma's name means that. It means whole and complete. Adopted into our family, whole, complete, no longer torn up. No longer divided, but whole and complete. And only when we recognize that we have to submit to the mighty hand of God, casting all of our life upon him, will we recognize that he's the one, the only one that can truly do that. Anxiety tears you to pieces, and you know this. It ends up devouring your life, eating you up. Suffering, suffering in the context of First Peter, suffering may be the thing. Suffering may be the thing that's causing the division of your thoughts, the trials that you're going through. And again, a mind divided cannot stand. This is why we have to trust that Christ holds all things together. Anxiety, a dividing of my mind and my body, a, a leaning towards or a leading towards a misplaced fear. You know anxiety does this, right? It divides you. It divides your thoughts. And it makes you think that there are greater things to be fearful of than the one truly we should be in fear of. And the answer to this is to pray. The answer to this is to worship. The answer to this is to study. Hebrews 4.12, I mentioned it to you already. It should be the thing that's dividing us. Not our anxious, sinful thoughts, but the Word of God should be the thing that's dividing us. So we look to the Word. We worship the Word. We worship Christ. We look to the Father. We cast our anxiety upon Him. We cast our anxiety upon Him. And verse 8 says this, 
Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Seeking someone to devour. Anxiety and the devil are trying to do the same thing to you. Tear you to pieces. Weaken you. Divide you. Break you down into, cut you into smaller, bite-sized pieces so that anxiety, so that Satan can devour you. We don't want that. We don't want to be devoured by Satan or evil or sin. We want to be glorifying the Father. We want to be abiding in Him. When you have those anxious thoughts today or at this moment right now or next week or 20 years from now, Christ is our sure and steady anchor. He's our living hope. He's the one that holds all things together. What does Satan want to do? He wants to devour us. The devil wants to try and swallow up those who have already been secured with eternal life. Let me tear you up. Let me divide you. Let me mess up your mind so that you're easy to swallow, weakened, easy to swallow. So what do you do? You fight it like Christ fought those things. 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. Like This is the victory. You're not going to be swallowed up by Satan. Though your mind may tell you that, no, the victory lies in Jesus. You cannot overcome anxiety by yourself or the suffering by yourself. You cannot do that. You must trust in Jesus. This is why Paul ended that section by saying, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We continue pressing into, leaning into the Lord, throwing our anxiety upon Him. Just as the Lord delivered people from Egypt with His mighty hand, so He will also deliver us, those of us in Christ. Church, as First Peter ends here, resist Him, verse 9 says, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Church, you're not the only one suffering. Others are suffering too. Church, look for those who are suffering. They are the ones most likely to be devoured. Look for those who are struggling. And if you are feeling strong, feeling put together, help those who are feeling divided. Help those who are feeling weak. It's why the church is a body. It's why the church is a group of living stones, a family, to work together to hold each other accountable, to hold each other up, that we might all continue to persevere, endure, and glorify Christ. Church, look for the one who is slowly being torn to pieces. They need the support in resisting the devil. They need a firm foundation, Jesus. They need a firm faith, continued faith in Jesus. And I think we can do this together. 
I'm sounding like you're about to vote for me, so I'm going to move on. <laughs> Satan is restricted. You know this, right? Yet God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. No restrictions at all. Nothing holding the Lord back except for the Lord. There's no one telling him what to do. He is sovereign. Satan stills and kills. And God, he saves and sanctifies. Peter wants to remind us that like a roaring lion, Satan only wants to scare us, distract us, divide us, destroy us. Peter makes this very simple statement in verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Satan scares. God cares. It's the Greek word mellow. When you're anxious, has anyone ever told you, you need to mellow out? What are you going to do? You have to set your mind on things above. To go to the Word. The one who is the Word. Worship Him. Have others hold you accountable to that. Hey, right now my mind is divided. It's racing. It's going all kinds of places. I don't feel, I feel like I'm being torn up inside. My mind, my soul, my heart, everything. I just don't know where I am. Well, who, who cares for you right now? I don't even know. I don't know if anyone cares for me. Let's study the Word. Peter, in this letter, suffering Christian, exile, the one who's going through persecution, fiery trials, being martyred for their faith. Christ cares for you. Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. We'll end with this. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, he being Jesus, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking. The waves were breaking into the boat. So that, that boat was already being was already filling with water. But Jesus, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Why? Because he's the Prince of Peace. Because even in the middle of a storm, even when the waves are coming into the boat, the water was coming in, and everyone else is anxious and stressed, Christ is the Prince of Peace. He knows things. He knows all things. He's got the greater picture in mind. And he's resting, asleep on a cushion. And so they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? Have you had those moments in anxiety and suffering and trials? And maybe you've prayed that honestly. Lord, do you even care? Do you see what I'm going through? I hate to admit it, Lord, but I don't, I don't feel like you even care at the moment. Are you really answering my or hearing me? Do you even care? Praise God for Mark writing this for us, God preserving this so we know that there's other humans who are 
who have so much, or just maybe the same amount of unbelief that I have at times. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing or dying? And he awoke. And he simply rebuked the wind and the sea. And he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And I wonder if Peter remembers those words of that, that scene when he was on the boat with him. And he's writing to these suffering Christians, these exiles. I know that you're going through suffering. I know that you're experiencing fiery trials. But know who our Lord is. Know that he is our sure and steady anchor. That he's our living hope. That in the midst of any storm, any trial, any suffering, he can say, peace, be still. He's all-powerful. Don't let anxiety divide you and give you a misplaced fear. Then Jesus says these words. Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And when he says, says these words, those disciples begin to think about all that has happened, right? The storm no longer, the sea calm. And who is this man that they're with? Who is this man? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. What did they do? At that moment, humility began raising up in them, arising up in them. Humility began to show them who they are not and who Christ truly is. And the mighty hand of God, they said, let's submit to that. If the wind and the sea obey him, so shall we. And I wonder today, if you're struggling with anxiety, or you have a misplaced fear, maybe your fear is just in Satan and Satan alone. Who has all power? Who has all authority? Who will obey Christ and Christ alone? Everyone. And if he has all power, our fear should be in him and him alone. We should throw our anxieties upon him and him alone. We should see that he is our only hope. And that when things of this world begin to divide us, we ask our brothers and sisters in Christ, bring me back. Set me on the right path. Show me the word that says Christ is our victory. Satan wants to devour us, divide us. Anxiety wants to devour us and divide us. Christ came to hold all things together. Reconcile us to the Father. He came to show us the Father's gracious love. And so we submit to Him and Him alone. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a loving Father, willing to discipline, willing to rescue, willing to remind us through your mighty hand of the things that we look forward to. God, I praise you this morning 
that though I fight against this almost every day, I cannot exalt myself. And so God help me and others in this room to instead exalt Christ, what he's done for us, what he's doing for us, what he's going to do for us. Proclaim him and his excellencies. God, as suffering and, and as anxiety divides us, and as our adversary, the devil, tries to divide and steal and kill and destroy us, God, help us to resist casting in humility our anxiety upon you, firm in our faith in you, firm in our faith of the works of Christ, firm in our faith of the words of Christ, firm in our faith of the fact that Christ is all-powerful, all authority belongs to him, firm in our faith that he is the greatest treasure and the greatest reward and the only one deserving, the only one worthy of our worship. God, I know, personally know many, many who are suffering, many who are anxious, many who are weakening in their faith. And I pray this morning, God, that you would strengthen. God, I pray that in worship of you, and study of your word, God, that we would remember what Paul said. That death has been swallowed up in victory. That thanks be to you, God. We get to join in that victory. So God, help us even now, as we respond to you in worship, to exalt Christ and Christ alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.